Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureViz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 164, and today's guest is Jesse Zhang, founder and CEO of Choosy. The fashion industry is constantly changing. It feels as though one week something can be in style, and the next week it is already out of fashion. As a company, it's nearly impossible to be able to keep up with the trends and get them manufactured in a timely manner before the look goes out of style. Well, Choosy is utilizing social media and algorithms to tackle this problem, and this direct-to-consumer e-commerce company is on a path to revolutionize the fashion industry. Jessie was born in China before moving to the United States while she was in elementary school. She originally envisioned a career in politics, but she ended up in finance, which is where she met her co-founders for Choosy. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like what it's like being selected and featured by Forbes as a 30 under 30, Jessie's early career and experience working in the finance industry and what that taught her, what led Jessie and her co-founders down the path of starting Choosy, all the details on the company and how their business model works, how Choosy is able to flourish in a very competitive market, advice on getting publicity for your startup, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Did you know that you can get customized job alerts delivered to your inbox every single day? It's a great way to keep informed of the over 4,000 jobs listed on VentureFizz and have jobs from a specific category sent directly to you. Don't let that career-defining opportunity pass you by. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash email to sign up. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Jesse. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So we've got a lot to talk about of Choosy and how it's really uh, disrupting the whole world of fashion and access to the latest trends and how that's, you know, you may spot something that you really like on Instagram and how do I get it? And right. uh, Choosy solves that problem. So, um, but I noticed, you know, uh, you were recently part of the Forbes 30 under 30 uh, class, which is uh, kudos to you. Congratulations. Thank you. And I also noticed that they, you were featured, you know, when you go to that section of their website, not only were you listed as one of the names, but they also did the video shoot. The, you know. so, I, so what was that like? Because I was just like, wow, that must have been a lot of uh, fun and interesting. Yeah, that was really exciting. So we actually had no idea whether or not we were going to be featured, but they asked me to come to Detroit to do a photo shoot. And then during the entire process, I think it was very like, they hinted that maybe it would become something, but, um, you know, Forbes, they don't really reveal until the day of. That's so cool. So, uh, and they showed some behind the scenes of you getting like made up and yeah. I was like, wow, that must be like a lot of fun just to kind of like have like, you know, that was very professional, right? Like Forbes doesn't mess around. Like they, they, they do things right. So it must've been a fun day. Yeah. I'm usually more behind the scenes because Choosy does a lot of photo shoots. So it was kind of interesting to experience it myself. <laughs> very, very cool. Congratulations again. Well, let's talk about your background. So uh, where did you grow up and what were you like as a child? So I grew up in China, moved to um, the U.S. in elementary school where I was then in the suburbs in Maryland. And I would say as a child, I've always been into just a lot of activities that other kids might have not been into. So whether that be like... Um, you know, really picking fights on the playground or um, taking on extracurriculars at the time, such as doing a, like a lot of uh, nonprofit work in developing countries. So that was kind of 
part of my interest growing up um, and then hence going to Wellesley to originally wanting to pursue a career much more on the political and nonprofit side. And, and yeah, you're studying economics, so that would make yeah. sense. So, so what did you think you wanted to do, like to get into politics? Yeah, I think that was originally the plan. Mm-hmm. But then the, the plan changed. So what's yeah. that? <laughs> like, like, so, like so many people in college, you're like, hmm, that was interesting, but maybe not what I want to do. So, but what kind of corrected that course of uh, you know, your, your choice there? Yeah, I met someone uh, very senior on the trading side at Citigroup, and they convinced me that I should go try it out for a summer. And it honestly was just very exciting. The trading floor was very buzzing all the time. There was always something going on. So I took a job out of college on one of the first algorithm trading desks at Citigroup where no, um, they wrote code to automate trade. And then my boss and I actually was overseeing the city's book for FX and precious metals. So that was really exciting. And the first time I really got to see how technology could disrupt traditional industry. Yeah. So, so what was your actual job within that, within that team? Um, so I oversaw the precious metals book. Wow. Gold and silver, and all of the electronic trades that came through Citigroup. So, what what did that experience teach you? Because I would imagine that's a high pressured environment. Well, it really taught me that technology changed the way that a lot of industry was being done. Like previously, you had one trader look over one or at most two currencies, but you know, at the time I was assisting my boss, and he was looking over all of G10 and EM by himself, right? And he just really had a team of quants that was supporting on the coding side. But, you know, he probably, you know, the desk did better than having a number of traders manually do um, the work. Mm, Technology wins. (laughs) So what did you do after City? I was in China, so I was consulting on a few textile manufacturing companies, so really going to the weeds and then seeing at the time what Alibaba was really doing to the industry, which is that instead of legacy players taking these contracts from brands um, where the lead time would be six to nine months for thousands of units per style, you started to have these small scale manufacturers that were very nimble and able to produce 80 unit runs within the course of one or two weeks. So to me, that really allowed this idea of matching supply and demand in real time. So very similar to what we used to do in trading, um, but in the retail and clothing space. And the thesis is that if you can match supply and demand in real time, you really eliminate one of the biggest problems of retail, which is inventory and that, which then leads to incredible waste. And you see these headlines of companies burning billions of dollars of inventory. And that's the thing, like as a consumer, you just, you know, go to a store and you just see kind of the back room or the back of the store where that's everything's, you know, just discounted. And then you eventually see stuff that's discounted to the nines where you're like, I mean, like they, you know, they charge you $50 for it yet. And it's marked down to like $5. So you're just like markup on these things, but the the risk of ordering such a large volume must be uh, just crazy. 
Yeah, I think to me, coming from kind of the background that we came from, so I actually met both my co-founders on Trading Floor, um, started this company together. It just made no sense that in today's age where everything is digital and the customers out there expressing exactly what she wants to buy that you're still having legacy players still look at the runway essentially for inspirations of what to make. And it's interesting as a, as a, we're probably going to talk about this a little bit, but the, the ability to run an efficient manufacturing process is so critical if yeah. you're you know actually launching physical products, not like, you know, creating SaaS software. Um, so did you always want to start a company someday? Was that kind of always in the back of, back of your, your mind kind of thinking? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, this is even better. So what kind of inspired you that, you know what, this is a problem that I need to tackle. And how did you figure out that this was the problem that you wanted to tackle? Well, I, I think at the time, just given my background and the obvious problem I saw in the industry as well as the opportunity to really build a different type of retail company, I didn't think that anyone else had the skill set or the background to really do it. So it kind of became, it has to be me. <laughs> Very much in this like kind of, um, I guess, solo journey of mine thinking about what I wanted to create. And the, you know, talk about, you know, the, the, you know, the kind of what led you down the path of what you chose to do, because you, you were very active on Instagram from what, from what I've gathered. Yeah. And that was kind of like the aha moment, if you will. Right. Yeah. So I think um, it was a lot of different factors. I was very active on social media. I saw that not only did social media have a lot of traffic where influencers and celebrities were influencing people what to buy. I actually saw that there was quite a bit of like a two-way dialogue where, um, you know, the followers of these mega accounts were telling the influencers in the comments of what they want to see next or whether or not they loved the look that she was posting. And no one was really doing anything about it because like you said, you really need a supply chain to be able to capitalize on the kind of information that was out there. Um, and then to me, it just made a lot of sense given my background to put all the pieces together of essentially the technology, the supply chain, as well as building a brand on top of all of it. Which is a huge undertaking. So, so how did, how did you even get started? Like you mentioned you, your other two other co-founders you met at city. So yeah. how did you even get started? So I actually initially did not convince them to join. So I had to kind of like run the beta and raise the angel round by myself. Um, but a, pilot test was we actually in the very beginning just wholesaled styles that were very similar to what i saw a lot of people commenting on on instagram this is even before um, we wrote scripts to automate all of that and then we would or rather the time it was just me in my apartment i would put it online and then sell it and you know I was able to see enough traction to then go out and formalize it into a company and raise our angel round at a time and then bring on my two co-founders. But how did you even get consumers to know that you existed and that you were selling these, you know, this, these clothes online? 
So I had quite a bit of a social media following myself. So I had um, about 30,000 followers at the time. And then in addition to that, I've sent it to a few my friends who also had followings. Um, and then at the time, we also did a growth pack where we DM'd people who commented on you know, major influencer celebrity photos with outfits, kind of being like, hey, like we created a pretty similar version. You can check it out here. And what was the fundraising process like? Like you proved out, hey, I think there's something here, but it's still very difficult to raise capital. Yeah. Um, so, so how did that, how was that process like? I think a lot of people um, have this joke about me where if I'm told no by someone, I kind of just block it out of my memory. So I think that definitely helps in the fundraising process where um, you essentially continue to take meetings until someone says yes. And then once there is a first yes, then there's a, quite a bit of competition and you're able to um, finish the race. That's awesome. You know, as far as, you know, pitching your company, like, was there like an evolution that you learned from, from the very first pitch that you did to the end where you kind of understood what the investors really wanted to hear? I would say not really. I think especially the early pitches that we did, it was very much based on this idea of real-time shopping. So real-time matching supply and demand using technology um, on one side and then kind of supply chain on the other side. Got it. Okay. I think that was basically the pitch from day one. And so how did you get the manufacturing? Was that from your experience when you were doing some consulting work that you kind of figured out the manufacturing side? Cause that's a whole nother. Uh, yeah. Challenge. So what was really interesting about the manufacturing side is that there's maybe only about a dozen people in China, like executives who can pull off um, setting up the supply chain. So we work with currently a network of about 300 factories. And all of this is um, our head of supply chain's relationships that he's built throughout the decades. So he's ran supply chain for a few publicly traded companies in China before. Um, so a lot of it was once we had this like, you know, list of a dozen names going after all of them. And then it took me about probably like three months to close him. So it actually was harder hiring him than raising our funding. It's such a critical hire, right? Yeah. So, so what advice would you give to other founders that are like, you know, trying to hire these, you know, you're a startup. So someone's yeah. taking a leap of faith to join your company, but how to recruit kind of that senior executive that could be a, a game changer. A lot of the executives that we've recruited here it's been very interesting because the best talent is oftentimes um, talent that other people want and other companies typically have more resources than you as well as, you know, just more of a track record, especially in the very beginning when there's no press out there, there isn't a website, there isn't even a name. Um, so really showing, I think a lot of these executives that, you know, you guys are the team that has really the grit to, continue and be really persistent because the way you convince them is going to be the way that you build your business as well as like fundraise. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of kept pestering him and all of his friends for about three months. And then obviously Chinese culture, a lot of drinking. <laughs> you know how to work it. That's perfect. So now talk about the business today. So, so what, you know, what is choosy in terms of, you know, how does it work? How do you select your fashions? You know, anything else you can share in terms of where you're at as a company? 
Yeah, sure. So our algorithms mainly use natural language processing on the comments and then computer vision to identify the actual articles of clothing and the images as well as all of the attributes. So more than just, is this a skirt? Is this a dress? But what is the headline like? Um, how deep is the cutout in the front? Is there an asymmetrical hem here? What's the pattern on here? And then all of that data is really aggregated into a daily, weekly, and monthly report that gets sent out to our team of merchants and designers. And then from there, we design into the trend and um, essentially release a 80-unit run upon the first drop in a little bit under a month. So from when we have conviction on something to when um, we put up on the site, it's a little bit under a month. And then some of our best sellers start selling out within a few hours of the drop. So then we restock into the best sellers into the thousands and then some evergreen styles now have been restocked into the tens of thousands of units. Wow, that's so cool. So it's yeah. kind of like anticipation that the drop's coming. And then they see it and, you know, hopefully it's, you know, sells out and then you yeah. kind of extend it from there. Right. And then the ones that don't sell out because we started with such a small batch, we're not really sitting on the risky inventory of the thousands. So, so how do you figure out the pricing side though? We actually price to margin. So okay. we have um, certain margin thresholds we need to hit in order to make sort of the unit economics and math workout. So we're actually profitable upon first purchase as a company. So a lot of the capital we raise is really used to fuel SGNA. So then a lot of our pricing is um, based on how much we think, you know, how much were the product margins and then how much we think it'll cost us to market the product itself. Yeah, cause it's, I mean, you know, so if Rihanna's wearing something, I'm sure it was custom made for her or if it ever did go somewhere else it would be for a ridiculous amount of money that most people wouldn't be able to afford. So you're giving that option of wearing something that's super high fashion, yet some most people could afford type of thing. Yeah, I, I would say so. And then I think in addition to that, I think we do turn a lot of these high fashion looks into more everyday wearable. So that was kind of a lesson we learned um, in the very beginning of starting the company is that red carpet looks don't necessarily sell all of our best sellers are actually very much these minimal fashion basics got it so you're taking the inspiration of what that person might wear yet we need to make this everyday wearable where you're not going to wear that to an office or to a party or something unless you're rihanna showing up on the red carpet yeah. <laughs> very very cool and then and you also like you know you also have built a company that's focused around um, you know, helping, you know, you know, people of all, you know, different age, style, size, whatever, like this is, you know, fashion that all can wear. So it's inclusive. Yeah, I think it's incredibly inclusive. And I think a lot of um, the message we put out there is that the community is really involved in building the brand with us. Mm -hmm. So whether that's like, we actually have weekly polls um, about upcoming drops, what do members of our community want to see us make next um, to really featuring them. Like if you ever look at our Instagram feed, it's all of this, not, you know, posts we pay for. It's all members of our community that we're reposting. And then something I'm really excited about is going into the future of this year, especially we're starting to do casting from the community as well. So um, using real women instead of models. 
that is cool. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. So what's, um, now this is a very competitive market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, retail's changing drastically, uh, you know, retail physical stores, you walk into a mall and it's, you know, a desert. Uh, you've got a lot of different fashion e-commerce companies out there. So, so how do you, you know, stay competitive um, and keep your edge when, when there's you know, so much competition out there? Yeah, I think um, first and foremost, the product has to be right. So um, a lot of what we put out there, it's been kind of algorithmically tested that it's in a sense guaranteed to be liked. So I think that is kind of first and foremost. And then on top of that, the quality has to be right. It has to fit a customer the same way whenever she purchases something from us. So we pride ourselves in that. We actually um, quality check every single piece in-house before it makes it on the plane to our warehouse. Um, And then I think on top of all of that is really the brand story. So kind of why we built the brand and that we really do value members of our community um, to a very extended point and how they feel about the process we take as well as what designs we put out there in the world. So I think there's not really a short answer for this because it is an incredibly competitive market. I think it's about making sure every single touch point is what you want to convey. Yeah. The product, obviously, if the product is no good, yeah, the style or the quality is no good, yeah. people will come back. Yeah. Um, so you want to build that amazing customer experience that each and every time they buy from you, it's like, wow, this is exactly what I was expecting and tell their friends and word of mouth. and Yeah. And have a story that they're able to share with their friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like every, it's, it's, it is fascinating how you know, brand, right? That's something that every company is so focused on now, like building a brand that consumers can be really drawn to and have that story, uh, which seems obvious, yet for some number of years, people weren't thinking that way. (laughs) Well, I think for a number of years, um, the paid media landscape was very free and cheap. (laughs) Yes, not anymore. Free, but cheap, Um, not as competitive. So if you can pay to get customers, why put in the work? difficult work of actually building a brand that's sustainable, right? Yeah. So what's the current state of the business in terms of where you're at and, you know, what are your growth plans ahead and hiring, whatever, whatever's going on? Yeah. So we um, raised some additional capital last year. So our funding today is somewhere north of 10 million. Um, We have a team of 15 people here in New York and an additional 15 people in our China headquarters and then like I think like I said earlier the capital is mainly used to fuel our SGNA so we're building the business profitably on a unit economics perspective and hoping to continue growing that through a lot of actually brand building and organic I think something we're really proud of is we actually ended last year with close to 50 percent unpaid purchases. So 50% of our purchases were either repeat customers or customers that um, heard about us through a friend or through the media, which is super cool. And I think it was from the, the Forbes interview, like, I mean, your business, it's, I mean, this is a very meaningful business. I think the expect, expected sales in 2020 is somewhere around 15 million. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, this is like a real, real business that uh, is at scale. So this is the first, you know, we started talking early on that, you know, you didn't necessarily set out to be, be an entrepreneur, but you've been 
building a very successful company. So what do you think has been like the, the biggest lessons learned al along the way? I think um, hiring the right talent for sure. I think some of our, it's ironic. And I think I also said, may have said this in the Forbes interview as well, but people always say, don't hire your friends. But at the same time, when you're starting something for the first time, if you don't hire people, you know, then how do you know who to hire at all? Because you at that time is when there's nothing about the business to really benchmark itself on. Right. But I think, um, as we've really continued the journey now that we're growing a lot, I think every single hire I would say has propelled us forward in exponential growth or actually been a setback for us. So definitely focusing on the team and the people. Yeah. Cause those setbacks are tremendous setbacks, not yeah. only just, um, you know, time, you know, it's the financial impact. I mean, it's just, it's, it's such totally. a setback. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So what have you learned? Like, how do you evaluate whether or not someone's going to be the right fit? So now for us, because we've really drilled down on sort of the culture of the company, which is that we're, you know, a group of people very quantitatively driven. And then we like decisions to be backed by data. And on top of all of that, I like to think that today, everyone around us, we're all genuinely nice. And I think that's not something you can say, especially um, about a lot of early stage startups. So the culture is like not cutthroat at all. It's more being, having all these smart, very data-driven folks around the table who really believe in each other and build each other up. So now when we go out and hire with these core values in mind, um, it's more important for us that people represent these values rather than just having an impressive resume. And what, what, like what areas are the most challenging to hire for these days? I think it's ironic. So we actually, I know a lot of other companies typically have challenges hiring um, engineers, but we don't. And I think a lot of it is probably a combination of, what we're building here is truly pretty frontier technology. And then as well as, you know, the culture here of them playing games all day. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, engineers are actually one of the easiest for us to hire for. I think the hardest is actually the more creative talent. So like um, the storytellers, both visual as well as um, kind of like verbal and all of that, just because that's not a background we come from. So it's harder for us to evaluate the types of talent that would thrive. Now you've been successful getting uh, some great press out there. We talked about Forbes a couple of times already, and there's many, many, if you, you know, Google your name, you're going to see lots of different mentions out there. So like what advice would you give to uh, other founders on getting, you know, the right publicity for their company? I think, um, a lot of it has to do with the story has to be compelling to begin with. I think a lot of um, press out there really is saturated now. It's not new to start a company selling something online. It's not new to, you know, have go directly to the manufacturer. So what else is there left to be said? And I think that also then goes back to building the brand. Like why do you actually exist? What's so interesting that made you start the company to begin with? And what's like, what have you found successful? Is it, um, you know, engaging with a PR firm or is it you reaching out directly to certain media 
outlets that you think would be beneficial? Like what, what has worked for you? I think a PR firm for sure is necessary if you want to get a lot of exposure very quickly, just because, I mean, internally, like everyone has a job at the company operating. It's not realistic for me to be cold emailing people all day and PR firm already has these relationships. But then I think um, the strategy has to be done in house. So the PR firm cannot set what you're going to say out there. We internally come up with a strategy for PR. And then the PR firm is really, we're able to really leverage their connections in the industry as well as um, kind of the relationships they've built. So how do you, what's the best way to evaluate whether or not the PR firm is going to be a fit for you and what your goals are? I think um, basically what types of press you're hoping to get and then figure out um, who represents those companies. So um, when you evaluated a a PR firm, would it be like, okay, is this PR firm deeply rooted in the fashion industry or are they more in the entrepreneurial circles like the Forbes and Inks of the world? I would say that's basically how we approach the situation. And then ideally you find a PR firm that has a nice blend of a couple of different relationships in different sectors. Okay. Who who do you count on for advice, you know, mentorship, you know, things that you're kind of trying to figure out with building the business? Like who do you count on for advice? Yeah, we actually um, formed our advisory board at the angel round. So pre any institutional money. So um, Alexandra Wilson, she started Gil and then uh, Yasunobu, who was a former CEO of Uniqlo. So I definitely lean on them a lot for whenever we're kind of at forks um, in making business decisions. And, and you know, you've raised capital and um, like what's, how do you, um, provide updates to the investors? Like, is it something that you do monthly? Is it quarterly? Like, and what do you include within those investor updates? We like to keep things very kind of brief and to the point. So key business metrics. um, And we're still pretty early. So we don't have a formal board. So we don't really dive deeper into what we're doing. So more just updates on how the last month or so has been tracking and what we're hoping to do. And I'm sure like if, you know, there's, um, you know, other calls to action, like, Hey, we are trying to hire somebody and, you know, leveraging their network for those uh, types of efforts too. Right. Yeah. I would say that we have a really nice cap table and then um, it was very key for us when we were selecting investors to find a diverse group of people who would be helpful in different ways. So what's, uh, what's on your radar these days, fashion related, like what's, uh, what trends are you following? So what's really interesting recently, um, kind of in this space, is this entire knitwear sets trend. So like a lot of, um, instead of sweatpants, like being made with more knit materials, like sweater material. And then um, this entire like jet setting trend of like, what's your outfit at the airport kind of thing. And that's been actually a huge um, success for us in terms of a category in these past two months. So what, what, and is it actually what you are wearing at the airport? Is it just the look? It could be anywhere that you're wearing it, but that's what I would wear at the airport. Um, it's definitely what bloggers actually wear at the airport. But for most of us, I think 
it's um, like a very comfortable set that you could probably wear even to like a trendy restaurant in New York. Very, very uh, interesting. Well, and okay. but not. Okay. Yeah. Um, any podcasts or books that you'd recommend out there for, for other entrepreneurs to uh, check out? Books I actually really loved. Um, Shoe Dog by mm-hmm. Bill Nye. So that was the right. one I read recently. I thought it was insane. Because insane. Insane. Because it just, after reading it, you really understand how Nike is truly an expression of him, his core values. And I think that is, you know, at the heart of a brand. And it was just such a cool story that yeah. when I opened it up, I didn't expect to read that. I, you know, I thought I was going to read a lot about, you know, Michael Jordan, Tiger Wood, but yeah. I mean, that, that's like the, you know, the last chapter they talk about that. It was like that business almost went out, you know, bankrupt multiple times and he put his yeah. neck on the line each time. It was fascinating. Well, I think the interesting thing is that that is like most businesses that yeah. are especially legacy of pre-venture capital. Yeah. And you, I mean, you just look what he did and built that global brand. I mean, it just didn't happen overnight. You know, it wasn't like an overnight success story of like Nike. And the no, swoosh. especially kind of the chapter where he talks about how, um, you know, whoever made the boxes for them messed up the color. So it ended up being orange and it was like disastrous yet then when they were at the, you know, sneakers fair or whatever they were at. Yeah. It ended up being a good thing because everyone else's boxes were like white and suddenly there was a wall of orange boxes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great, great book. If, uh, if, if you're listening and you haven't read it, highly, highly recommend it. So what do you like to do for fun outside of work? I ski. Um, so I tend to make it out a few times a year um, out west as well as in Vermont. And then I have a husky who takes up a lot of my time. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. They're like, you know, definitely family. So yeah. it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Well, Jesse, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background and obviously the great things you're up to with Choosy and, uh, you know, wishing you continued success. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.